0: to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja, Three Protectors, and Animals.
1: And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanderers of Melisandre and Paradise Hills.
0: Yeah, and uh, and in the immortal words of ZZ Top, you're also a beer drinker and a hell raiser. So, uh, so let's am. get this, man. What? Maybe we have our own chance to raise hell. On this podcast, but, uh, but what, what beer are you drinking or what alcohol are you drinking?
1: Well, I just wanted to make a little connection from the previous week. Um, and I'm going with Unibrew. Oh, yeah. Uh, Blanche de Chambly or Blanche de Chambly. However, that's a different one. Oh, you,
0: you got, you got a beer. That's did you get that in, in um in Phoenix or did you get that local?
1: Ding ding ding. Um yeah, that's that's where I got it. Me and Gary, we took a little trip after let's see. I believe it was right after Saturday. Day, no, mm-hmm. Sunday. We did it Sunday. Oh. Yeah, we finished the show and he goes, Hey, do you want to go to a really cool liquor store? And I said, Well, yes, of course I do. What kind
0: of question is that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we stopped off, I believe it was Sunday. Um, you know days maybe it was Saturday who the fuck knows Um, but anyway yeah so we stopped off at a liquor store uh, it's a beer store actually it's not even like full on a liquor store it was pretty much packed with different kinds of beers and mm. so I saw this one I like golden Belgians myself but they said they didn't have anything so what they did have was this one and it's a Belgian style wheat ale it's only okay. 5% but it is a 16 ouncer so that's something and uh, okay. I thought it would be good Um, you know a little good chemistry with the previous ones. And, hey, yeah. we were actually doing Unibrow, uh, what is it called? The one that we were doing at Arizona? Uh, Finn fin Dumont. Finn Dumont. So it was like, hey, that'll pair nicely, and I'll save this for the next show. So I grabbed this one. Nice.
0: Nice, nice. I uh, I noticed a little chill in the air this evening. You know, California's a little funky right now because we've it. it it's delightful to me. But we have overcast skies. Um, we haven't really had big highs yet, and I love it. So, yeah, it's been shockingly, like, gray clouds and uh, and kind of colder temperatures. And because there was a little chill in the air on my way back from basketball, I, uh, I said, you know, okay, f- full disclosure, I had an IPA in my hand. But then I was like... I don't know when it's going to be this cold again, and plus I want a little more of a punch. So with the stout. even though, yeah, so I went with uh, I went with my final can, I think either my final can I think it's my final can of the old double stack again. So Great Notions double stack. This is the one I got four of through Tavor. Is the Imperial Breakfast Stout with uh, coffee and maple syrup in it, or coffee and maple syrup? Oh genome. yeah, it, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I 11 percent, my friend. Oh 16. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we won. We advanced to the to the finals in my uh, in my small recreational league. And uh, boy, boy, did I miss all the shots. But I did get a ton of rebounds. And uh, and, you know, a lot of my rebounds were nice because they were like frustrating offensive rebounds. Mm. Right. Like like, you know, people do a good. The other team did a good possession. And then I got in there and got a good offensive rebound and reset the possession and stuff like that. So it was really good. It's really good. It it sort of makes up for me missing just all the shots. I think I shot like two of 10 from the field, something like that.
1: Yeah. It happens some nights, you know, some days you got you to pull. You don't
0: you got to pull. Yeah. Yeah. And every single one of all them those felt...
1: rebounds, then yeah. you know, it all, it all balances it out at the end.
0: And they all felt good, you know. Like they left my hand. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good shot. I think maybe only one of them right off my right off the shot. I was like, yeah, I'm probably missing that. But the other ones all felt really good. So, ah, eh, what are you gonna do anyway? So yeah, man, we're we're gonna go hard. In the, I'm gonna go hard in the paint at least, and um, you are gonna talk about. I guess the first thing we did this week. We should recap the conventions,
1: right? Yeah. So that was number one yeah. on my list. A very successful Phoenix Fan Fusion. So the the theme. This is my third one. The theme of this show was two terrible first days, amazing last day. Every single time I've done the show, that was the situation. Just a a shit of a day on Friday, having me questioning Mm -hmm. my life. Saturday, wondering why I even do this show. And then Sunday, redeems it all with a monster day that essentially usually gets me around what you were making for the whole show. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't understand why it was happening, but it was just what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. This time around was completely different. Every single day was a monster day. The first day was yeah. amazing. The second day blew the first day out of the water, which I didn't think could happen. Mm-hmm. And then the third day, it was bizarre World Phoenix Fan Fusion for me. It was easily the worst day. It was the slowest day. But I was having... When I did make a sale, it was a good amount of a sale. Like, mm-hmm. I I got to a point where I was rivaling day one for for sales but it just felt so much slower so much more relaxed way less people mm-hmm. and uh but i got no complaints man like i walked out of there going this is one of the best shows i've ever had that wasn't san diego comic-con so yeah. um thank you phoenix fan fusion i uh everyone that attended i was r- really happy with all of you uh the way the show was ran minus one thing which we talked about was no food no drink from the outside which was yeah um, probably the stupidest thing about the show this year. Uh, but beyond that, it was, it was amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You did great, man. I mean, I was, I was impressed with just how, how the hits kept coming for you, you know? And, uh, Oh, Hey man, that was, it, it was wonderful. I mean, it's kind of funny. So for me, obviously it was the infamous two, two shows, one weekend weekend. And, uh, in a vacuum, my Friday was really good, you know, like it wasn't wasn't as good as yours, but it was pretty good. And Friday was active. And then Saturday, you know, I don't know what it is about me and Saturdays, but it feels like my M.O. is that. The beginning of Saturdays for these last couple of shows have been so slow that it makes me question what the hell is going on. Like we are talking like three hours in and I might make one sale or zero. And it's just one of these like, what the hell is going on? and the moment you know like i had my little uh, nervous moment of the day there where you told me basically just stop talking and uh, and let it happen and from that moment on it was um, it, w- it was great you know like i didn't have a monster day but i did have a monster 3 or 4 hours there that propelled me to a really nice total for for the 2 days of phoenix fan fusion so for me, then, you know, the plan was always, you know, thanks thanks to you and Gary, at least like, you know, keeping books up and selling them to people that were interested at a minimum, right? I mean, you also could have pitched people or could have done the warm handoff kind of to yourself because you're like, oh, well, my buddy does this kaiju book after you do your sale or whatever, right? Um, but yeah, you, you made some nice sales for me on Sunday. Um, and then I, you know, I went to the airport, I caught my flight home and then uh, woke up, on Sunday and did Monster Palooza and shut Monster Palooza down. And Monster Palooza was a little, you know, it was a little wonky in that the first hour or two was qu- the first hour was quiet and the last hour and a half was quiet and everything in the middle was really strong. So on the whole, both shows were quite profitable for me. The interesting thing, however, is that and and you know, I I was talking I've been talking to my wife about this. I was talking to a friend about this. If You know, so for me, I did two shows and each show was three days. So that is six total days of show, right? Six total days of show. Of those six total days, three of them involved me being in a booth and three of them didn't. I outsold myself by more than a factor of two to one when I was there. So if you looked at the linear, like if you looked at the convention that Keith was at, that Keith attended the whole time, it was wonderful. You know, it basically matched, you know, the combination matched both my Phoenix fan fusion and my Monster Palooza total from last year. Um, and then, but then there were the three other days where, you know, I did less than half what I, you know, other people did less than half of me. And that's okay. That's normal. Right. Um, if anything, I think it shows how I have evolved as someone who can sell better. You know, because my wife kind of had that when I told her my total for the the Sunday, she was like, wow, I guess you do sell better than us, LOL. And it's like, it's it's because I'm more aggressive now. You know, what I told her is had had this happened two or three years ago, I'm not sure there would have been much of a difference because I wasn't as active selling at my table. But now I am. And now I've lowered that a little bit. You know, I actually gave some examples of the kind of person that I would have my minimum person I would have tried to kind of sell two, three years ago and how that works now. And it's like, it's way different. You know, I, I go on way less because I'm more comfortable striking out. You know, that's OK. Right. So anyway, um, but all said and done, a really wonderful, profitable weekend. And as a nice postscript to that, I did see that for next year, Phoenix Fan Fusion moved their convention back to Memorial Day. Weekend. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know they yeah. already announced it. Oh I yeah I actually dropped it in the chat. You were probably you probably had something going on, but I think I I dropped a picture Um, They announced it on Facebook and I dropped a picture in them in the making comics chat with Gary and I just put like, fuck yeah, you marvelous motherfuckers or something like that. Oh, right right on. Cool. yeah. 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 So, you know, Monsterpalooza hasn't announced its date for next year, but they're always the first weekend in June. So, you know, fingers crossed that all they have to do is just keep their usual slot and I think we'll be fine. And then I can go back to doing both shows in full, which is what I like doing. I I like, you know, that's the hardest part, right? Right. Like. I'm choosing between two shows I really like. Like, Phoenix Fan Fusion I like because we have a good time, as good time as we can while we're selling, and then obviously staying with Gary made an even better time, you know? Um, to be able to walk away from that was kind of like, man, you know, like, a bummer, right? Like, a good show with good sales and, and good friends. Yeah, and Monster to go to, uh, the, Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like the one show a year we got to hang out with this particular buddy And Mm -hmm. like to have to cut it short is it it sucks, you know? And it's just like, man, we were having such a good time, and you know, here's another night that we're not going to get a hang and have dinner and and, you know, chop it up and all that stuff. Um, but overall, it sounds like it was a really good weekend for you. So even though other people were selling for you the days that you weren't there, Mm -hmm. you still. You know, we're in the black on both shows. And and like, oh, yeah, absolutely. hey, that's great. It's just like, hey, I paid for the tables. And even though I wasn't there all of the days for each each convention, you know, yeah. I still made my nut and then some. and And yeah. so that's great. And as far as like how we did it while you were gone on Sunday, it was essentially how we always do it. It's just like we watched people. If we see them looking at your stuff, we talk about your stuff first. Mm-hmm. Even when you're not there, that rule still holds true. It's just like they're clearly looking at, you know, three protectors or Kadoja or the yeah, yeah. or the metal cards or whatever. So you start off, you sell them on that. And then you just let them know the prices. You hang back for a second if they don't pull the trigger, and they kind of go like, "Oh, okay." Then you do the pitch, right? Like, yeah. "Well, hey, are you? You might want to check out the books that you know Gary does, or hey, like mm-hmm. these are the books that I do." Um, if they move along, or if they don't, or just like I've told you in the past, and I told you that day. Your stuff sells regardless of you being there or not. Like mm-hmm. there is plenty of times where you've walked away, Hey, I want to go check a couple of booths out or I wanna go to the bathroom, I'll be back. Yeah. I come back, I hand you money. Because yep. people walk up to the table and they go, What is this? And I tell yeah. them what it is and they're like, Yeah, okay, here's money. And yeah, I'm like yeah. right on. You know? Yeah. So so that's pretty this much what happened on Sunday. Yeah. yeah it was that's just cool. like that's cool. uh someone came by, they bought Uh, Kadoja Volume 1 and 3 and they wanted the Mm -hmm. variant of 3 and Mm -hmm. then, um, but they were looking for Volume 2, which you only had the singles of and they were like, eh, okay, I'll buy 1 and 3, so I thought that was interesting you know, it was just like, they'd rather wait for that second volume than Mm -hmm. to uh, pick up the single issues, but um, yeah, yeah, Sunday was was bizarre Um, but even I noticed Gary, who actually used to take your approach prior to like you working with me more at shows um, that more laid back vibe, kind of like get a you know, get some eyes on it, get that pause and then maybe call them over or something like that. I, on Sunday, mm-hmm. I noticed there was a little bit more urgency with Gary and I mm-hmm. thought that was really cool because we had been talking about the process of selling at shows now. And I don't think Gary would mind me talking about this. He he likes the more laid back, you know, hey, if you, you you like it, hey, come hither type approach. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of lay back in the weeds. And, um, you know, my approach is more of the approach he takes when he is artist Gary or writer Gary. He puts on a different hat, right? Mm-hmm. And I do the same. And yeah. this is convention Scott. So mm-hmm. when I'm doing each one of my jobs, um, this is how I was explaining to him, well, my job now is convention Scott, Convention Scott's job is to sell this book to as many strangers as possible. Mm-hmm. So, how do you do that? You talk to as many people as possible. And so, while I understand your old approach and Gary's current approach, I feel my job as Convention Scott is to be more aggressive and try my hardest to sell as to as many people as possible without being a carnival barker. And yeah. uh, you know, that's the line that none of us ever want to take or cross. No. So um yeah that's that's just my approach to it where it's yeah. a little like hey this is your job right now you're this is an artist scott talking you know like it's it's yes it's creator scott trying to sell this product but it's also convention scott and that that person's just a little bit more aggressive and and yep. you know in the sense that I will actively try to talk to as many people walking by as possible. Now, I'm not going to force their hand, but I do want to mm-hmm. talk to them about their book. And if the pitch sounds good to them, then they can pick it up. If not, hey, let's keep it moving. And like you said, I'm way more comfortable with the nose than I than I ever have been. It's yeah. like, yeah, you could shoot me down. I won't bat an eye and I'll go to the next person and I'll try to make the same pitch just because that's our job in this moment. Totally.
0: Hey, we both even gotten good at the we even give them an out you know like oh are you interested in in indie comics and they'll say no you know when they say no you generally do a quick follow-up like oh, okay you know just just here looking for the looking at the art you know that kind of thing and then like you totally give them an olive branch like yeah yeah looking at the art i have a similar version of the olive branch where i'm like hey it's all good man conventions are cool it's a lot to take in you know, yeah. like, yeah, just, you know, give them an out. Like, they, they may come back sometime. Remember, average of 11 impressions, like, that was the first. That doesn't mean they're buying today. You know, they they may come back later because they thought you treated them pretty cool. Or they, they vaguely remember something they liked about this transaction, you know. Um, I, I, was, I think it's...
1: Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of something that was cool, we had a couple of people from uh, the audience of the Making Comics podcast audience come by and... Um, uh, you yep. know, chat us up, talk about their process, how much they enjoy the podcast, and they picked yeah. up some books. So, hey, yes. we truly appreciate you guys coming by. You guys were a joy to talk to, just very lovely people, um, and and thank you for picking up our books. We truly appreciate yeah. appreciate that
0: yeah no, true that like that that was that was lovely I mean it's it's lovely when someone comes up and you know, oh I, I want I knew you were here because I listened to the podcast, and so I'm so happy to be here and tell me about your books, you know like that kind of stuff right I mean, they could have t- they didn't have to launch right into the book stuff. we would have gotten there, but it was pretty neat. it was pretty neat. um I, I think in terms of selling, you know for people out there that might be on the more chill side. You know, um, I I will say that that for me, the big thing that kind of turned it for um, was when my buddy Martin Vavra was telling me about it, you know, Um, so whatever it was, the Emerald City before we tabled the year before we tabled was when I really started to change how I did things. And to your point, I, I thought my I thought of myself as not being someone who is here to create at a show, but. I would treat it like anybody would treat their trade shows, right? How do how do big important companies treat their trade shows? They send people there because you're there to answer questions that are that you're there to build relationships and ideally try to sell the stuff. And so for me, yeah, you say convention scott, trade show Keith, same damn difference, right? Like you're we are salespeople then. And um, and then to get back into you know the thing I've kind of stumbled over a few times. While it's overly reductive, I think there's three There's three types of people out there when it comes to conventions, the kind of the kind of person that is pretty damn interested in what you have to sell, whether you sell them or not. The kind of person that needs to be sold a fair amount, like, you know, to, to use the line, I think I said the kind of person that wants to stop. They just don't know it yet. And the kind of person the third one would be, you know, kind of moving out from the center of the sun here, the third person would be the person that's not interested, no matter what. Right. So you have no matter what's kind of on the end. And and what what we have been doing, I think, because you know I've noticed a change in you. Like you, you I, I think we have fed each other in terms of being more pleasantly aggressive without being holla holla hala right? The the trick is to try to get as deep into that second level knowing full well that you want no part of the third level. Because not not even for... Like, you're not going to get sales that way. You're not going to get sales, carnival barking people, and getting them to come over to the your booth when they, they really didn't want to stop. They had no interest in stopping. So, I mean, there is some degree of bringing people in and trying to not you know to to get maximize that second level and maybe dip a little bit into the third level because you know you're never going to know if they're uninterested if you don't say anything but that doesn't mean you need to yell 20 feet across an aisle either that you know there there's definitely people where they barely break stride going by your table or they 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 just do a quick scan of your table and keep moving yet they don't want to buy anything um, so, but it's about taking all those other people and, uh, and seeing who might be interested. And yeah, you have to have a pretty high tolerance for failure. You know, you're out of every 10 people, you're probably going to get four like hard nose. And then you're going to get anywhere from probably three to five soft nose out of those 10 or, or a, a active no, you will talk to them for a while. And then they'll be like, OK, cool. Hey, thanks for talking. You know, that kind of thing. Right. right but right. but that's OK, because you're going to get one to three sales out of every 10 by simply doing it, too, as long as you're you're having some degree of, uh, you know, judiciousness in picking the people to talk to instead of just shouting down everybody, because that's exhausting on you. What you're going to end up doing is wasting the energy on the people who we're never going to stop in the first place and that's going to spend your energy where you should have had that be better spent on the people that are interesting.
1: Um, Okay. So I'm going to dovetail into my, my second thing, which Mm -hmm. we kind of briefly talked about there um, saying that Phoenix fan fusion is my best show. That isn't San Diego comic con. Well, we actually got confirmed while we're in Phoenix that we will be at San Diego comic con. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So the Accidental Aliens got a small press table, and so we'll be there. So if you're going to San Diego Comic-Con, go to small press, look for the Accidental Aliens. I will have that updated on my social media as soon as we get a table number. Since we are on a wait list, I don't think we have that quite yet. Um, But as soon as we do get that, all my social media will be updated with it, and I will more than likely pin that to the top of my Instagram. So uh, if you need to find me or the Accidental Aliens... Um, it'll be right there for you. So, yeah, that was my second one. That was kind of a big one. We've been waiting for a few months now on that. We put got put on the wait list, um, and we were just kind of biding our time until we either got in or we would just have to harass them at the show to try to get a table. But it um, <laughs> okay. looks like we don't have to do that, so that's pretty cool.
0: Nice, man. Congratulations. Again, Some uh, I I have heard... I know. I know that that's like you just said. Like you, you had what was your best non-San Diego show, so it'll probably be a pretty good show. <laughs> you know, San Diego tends to be a wonderful show for you, so that's great news.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's just you know more more sales at those shows uh, goes towards more um, variant cover artists and just putting it towards like you know future things for the book. Like I just really like to reinvest. What I make at shows, you know, beyond having to pay bills and stuff is like I keep some of that money aside for things like that. It's just like, look, if I really want to get a killer cover artist and I know they cost a pretty penny, like I'll have that money there to invest in it. And um, like like I love to do is get that original art from those people that do those covers. It's just Mm -hmm. it's so cool flipping through that portfolio, just seeing all these different versions of my characters drawn by different artists. It's so rad
0: yeah yeah and and you know i have a variant of that obviously no pun intended that you know since you do the art to your book that's all covered so your money's going to go into other stuff for me the money goes into doing art for the book and uh and like we talked about in the chat i'm happy to say that you know the success of these shows means that i am now covered over the next few months for uh, for both kadoja symphony of madness number three and three protectors number two you know Dude, I, I. huge can't, I can't spend it all at once, obviously, I have to, you know, because I also um, break off a little of my my, you know, every other week paycheck to pay for stuff. So I don't have it all, let's say now. But this at least this is the first time all year where it's projected to be in the black all the way through, which is really awesome. Um, and then, you know, for, for every other thing that's going on, you know, you and I are going to do a little pop up at um, at my local spot, Comic Book Hideout on June 24th and uh, and hopefully that goes well but you know shows like you, things like that you just you know if you get a couple sales you're happy um what is uh, when is this episode being released Might this be episode going to gonna come out yeah actually great point this episode's coming out on uh the 19th so it will be this weekend yeah this is the this is the one weekend right before it so yeah this saturday scott and i will be in fullerton california at comic book hideout so, uh, so come on by and, uh, and check out our stuff in person and, uh, and, and see what we have in store for dead ass. <laughs> um, so that was your, that was your second thing. So I will go into my second thing. Cause the first thing was the, uh, the, the dual convention that I have been talking about for so long and it finally happened and it was, it was exhausting. You know, when I, one thing, when I got home from monster palooza on sunday my wife and kid were at like a family party that you know cousin or something like that and so i i got home i unpacked what i needed to unpack i just flopped into a chair and sat there for an
1: hour oh god i forgot to mention okay go ahead finish yours yeah no you should
0: so so i i flopped in a chair and sat there for an hour I I was too lazy to even put on a record. I was too lazy to do anything other than like dick around on Instagram and play a little bit of this mini golf app I had. I didn't want to tax my brain to even play Scrabble, which I I play a ton of. I was just like, I need something stupid. I need to sit here in this chair and I need to just sit. And uh, and that's pretty much what I did. I ended up doing like one Instagram post about an hour later when I summoned up the energy. But you have a weekend like that, you're just... (laughs) You're you're ready to flop into a chair and 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 veg out and do you know almost nothing.
1: Yeah, that to me that sounds like a nightmare. Like doing two days at one show, hopping on a plane, going and finishing on another show. Like that just sounds a hundred percent exhausting. But with with what you did at the end of the show reminded me at how terribly the end of my show went because yeah. um, it okay the whole show was a joy. Got to hang out with you and Gary, talk to some great people at the show and, and all of that. Um, we had Culver's, which is a fast food oh, yeah. chain. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I, like I've eaten it. at it in Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't get it very often. It's not here in California, at least not in San Diego. And so we were trying to figure out something fast to eat um, so I can get on the road because I had a five hour drive back to San Diego. Yeah. And um, he's. He was just like, well, I'm trying to think of something. I was like, hey, what about Culver's? I don't get that very often. And he goes, that's perfect. We haven't been in a long time. And, you Mm -hmm. know, yeah, let's go do that. So we have our Culver's. Um, You know, it's just uh, we eat there. We get some food for his girlfriend. And then uh, we head back, right? Pack up the car, say my goodbyes and all of that. Um, Great hosts, by the way. Thank you, Gary and Mary. You guys were awesome. We truly appreciate Mm -hmm. you guys having us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh excellent house, very Gary uh furniture and uh vibe, aesthetic to the whole place. Like I walked in, if 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 we picked five five friends of ours, ten friends of ours, and and we said, Hey, whose house is this? This is the list of ten. I, I would I could guarantee you I would have picked that it was Gary's house. Um that's how much it felt like Gary's house. Um but anyway, it was a great time over there. Packed the car, I hit the road. I'm making great time. Two hours pretty much flies by. The third hour, my check engine light comes on. I am three hours away from San Diego with a check engine light. I don't know what's going on. I start going up the hill into the mountains. At what, 4,000 feet elevation into the mountains, my car starts going 35 miles an hour on the freeway. I am freaking the fuck out. It's a hills have eyes situation. I'm like... My car is going to break down in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how long I'm going to have to wait for someone to show up. There was call boxes every once in a while on the road. I don't know how far away it's going to be from where I am. Just all these things are going through my mind. And then the road starts to even out, gets flat. My car starts picking up speed. It gets all the way up to 80. I was like, holy shit, my car's going 80. Like it felt like I was flying. And I was like, oh, it's going so fast. It's kind of kind of worrying me. Like, is is it stuck going fast? Like I didn't know what was going on. And then, mm-hmm. of course, another hill comes, and the car slows back down 35 to 40 miles an hour. It's basically me panicking for two and a half hours until I get back into San Diego, where I finally calm down and go, even if it breaks down now, my girlfriend can come and get me. Like, yeah. I- I'm okay yeah. now. So the car makes it home, but man, was that a fucking journey. So, Sounds horrible. Well, I mean, it's one thing. If you were in the car like we rode there together, we rode to Phoenix yeah. together, you know, Keith has the second show, so he has to fly out. I would be stuck in the middle of nowhere by myself. It's just yeah. like that just seems fucking terrifying. And yeah. um yeah. I, I was so lucky that my car made it back and I got it repaired today three hundred and thirty three dollars later. Not mm-hmm. as bad not as bad as I thought it was going to be. A little yeah. like after I looked up the code, so I went to O'Reilly's, found the code, I thought Okay, it says, according to Google, I'm googling all this shit. They're like it's about an hour's worth of work, maybe two, and I'm like, okay, i I might get away with this you know fifteen twenty dollar part and one to two hours labor they eh, dollars two hundred two hundred and fifty bucks, maybe at the most, maybe a hundred twenty five no it it was three thirty three so I'm eh. like, okay. I thought initially it was going to be like a thousand. I thought I was screwed, so um, yeah, I'll take the three thirty-three. And anyway, that was just an event, so um, something I didn't and couldn't prepare for. You know, like I was having a little bit of car issues before we left, but I thought I got it taken care of. And then all of a sudden, this whole new thing comes up. So when you have a little bit of an older car, that's kind of how it goes. You fix one thing, something else breaks. You fix the other thing, another thing breaks. So fingers yeah. crossed, this is the last thing for a while. But I had to let you guys know about the end of that convention after having a, such an amazing convention to have such a shit drive home was uh, quite the balance.
0: You you had a hilarious line in the chat where you were like, the mechanic, it's weird, the mechanic said to me, how much did you make at the show? Because that's exactly what this costs. <laughs> I just thought that was so fucking funny. Uh, anyway, so yeah. Also it, it's anal. Good. Yeah, also anal. That's right. You put that in
1: there too. <laughs>
0: so I'm getting screwed. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so no, I'm, I'm glad that at least it, it worked out. And uh, and and look, you know, you you brought up this problem on the drive out. You know, that was that was a great subject of conversation. Where it's like, well, I had this problem, but it it was a an inexpensive fix. Things look great you know and but yeah. you know you drove six seven hundred miles and things that are great at mile 100 may not be great at mile 500 right so anyway glad it all worked out and that uh wow that yeah it just sounds like a terrible drive so uh so glad glad it, it was not any kind of horror film situation
1: yes back back to positive things
0: yeah yeah okay so this one is more from last week but it was a carryover because when we have a guest we just talk about one thing and then we move on. But I wanted to mention this because uh, last week's one thing was that I have three stories that I want to write equally, and um, but I wanted to mention that about this this new comic that was just this spark idea from a place of weirdness a couple weeks ago. I was I was thinking through it enough to where I had to call up my editor. I had to call up Mike, and I'm like Mike. I have this idea for a comic and I want to tell you about it because the one thing I don't want is to not consult with you, write this whole thing and then three months later you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, like I, I, want, I want to make sure that I'm on the right track here. So I tell him the idea for a comic. I just wanted to see if anything tripped him up and it didn't. That's what was awesome. So the the, the neat thing there is he, he liked the idea. He was like, yeah, yeah, this is cool. He said that there was only one thing about it that that potentially tripped him up and it was good to hear on that, right? So, you know, someday I'll be able to talk about all this stuff but, you know, this is such a new, fresh idea and I think it's a pretty interesting idea. It you know, is. like, over the course of the weekend I told you and Gary, like, this is... Look, Kadoja and Three Protectors, I'm I'm very proud of them. But I'm writing those to have fun. Like, they're very, you know, like just what I feel in my gut about shit I like. Like, they're gonzo giant monster movies and and kung fu and just fun stuff that I'm trying to put some degree of of art artistry to. Not elevated a lot. You know, I'm not here to make a goddamn think piece. I mean, it's giant fucking monsters, right? But I wanted to try to elevate it to, like, that B-plus level of quality, at least, and have it have some, you know, a lot of fun and wonkiness, but also some goodness. So this new comic is not that. This new comic is... You know, an actual bit of a thinking comic, and uh, and something that's going to be fun to write, but it's not going to be you know kind of hit you. I mean, it's going to hit you in the head and hit you in the gut. Where I think you know the the idea with Kadojin Three Protectors was always to hit you in the gut and then leave you at the end going like, oh wait, he gave me a thing or two to think about there. That was always the design. So anyway, uh, Mike Mike said, yeah, I like everything with the caveat of this one thing and then he also said no i'll give you some homework if you want it he said there's a film do you know about this film he proceeded to tell me about the film i'm like no i didn't but that sounds very great for what i am doing and i watched it 3 hours later and uh boy it it ended up being a great reference for for what i'm going for you know so very cool to have that editor Figure, You know, in my case, right, Mike is a is an awesome editor and and I love being able to to throw stuff at him and have him, you know, in the moment kind of tell me like, okay, this, this, this and this. Right. So um, we're going to talk about Mike again for my final thing of the week, the next thing. But uh, but for those of you out there. I, I highly recommend having an editor or someone that serves as an editor. You know, you don't have to have an official editor as long as you have that person that's your sounding board, that's going to give you honest feedback and even challenge you on what you're doing so that they can push your story to a new place. So that is part one. That is the first editor conversation I had this week. And then you'll see that when I get to my next thing, it also ended in an editor conversation.
1: Right on, yeah. Editors are important, uh, important, important. They so they're so they're important. important. <laughs> they slightly are. Um, yeah, Mike is an excellent editor, um, and yeah, it, it's always great to run stuff by him and see what he thinks because he'll definitely let you know. He doesn't mm-hmm. sugarcoat stuff, and so nope. when he feels a certain way, he feels a certain way, and you will find out. So, mm-hmm. so that's awesome that he had no problems with what you're doing, and it was all pretty mm-hmm. clear. Yeah, um, yeah, awesome. Yeah, and so my next thing was reordering books and prints in time for shows. So with the announcement that we are going to be at San Diego Comic-Con, yeah. I need to restock books. Here after, you go again on your own. Right. It's just like, I was just doing this. I just ordered books. I have to you reorder books. You just fucking books. did this.
0: I-, I thought this was actually going to be last week's thing that you were just making up for, but it's, it's fresh. It's yeah, fresh it's, and clean.
1: Yes, yeah, super fresh, yeah. super clean. Uh, the yeah. benefit of having... Well, I guess the downfall of of having such a great show is you ran out of books, so you need you yeah. need to spend more money to buy more books. Totally. So that's exactly what I was in the process of doing. Um there's this wind down that I like to do after conventions and I think most people do it. You basically take inventory of what you have left, what you sold, and then you replenish your stock. So mm-hmm. um you should have a backlog of things like prints, books, um, so as soon as you sell out of them, you can replenish them. I have a specific box, like it's a a, a pretty good sized bin. It's a plastic bin where I keep um, two boxes filled with comics. Those are my convention boxes. So I know when convention time comes, those bo- that box is ready to go. All of my comics yeah. are in there. Um, I take account of how many I put in each box. So I'm so like one of the things I do is. When I do the show, when I finish a show, I count how many I sold of what books, mm-hmm. and then I make sure I have at least that amount in those boxes when I do the next show, because you never know how much or how little you're going to sell. So regardless, if you don't sell that many, at least you have them on hand just in case you sell uh, through them.
0: When you count the books, do you act like the count from Sesame Street? Like, I do. Second
1: shift volume one, I sold
0: one, one, ah, two, three. Ah. Three, <laughs> keep on going up like twenty seven, twenty eight,
1: <laughs> and I am done. <laughs> and then anyway. I eat my own cereal. Yeah, um, I don't. I, did you ever wait? He had his own cereal, right? No, that was like Count, Count Chocula. Chocula. I think I think they had a That's big a turf guy. war back in the seventies. I think so.
0: I think the Count from Sesame Street and and Count Chocula like they had like a knife fight like in right. Beat It. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that the Beat It knife fight is based on the infamous. Count cereal street wars from the 70s. Mm hmm. Purples versus the browns. Yeah, you do get it. <laughs> you know, I mean, would you rather eat purple in this cereal or brown? Wait, how did brown win? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> anyway, sorry, please continue. Bigger knife. Yeah, that's true. Um, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. What we were talking about was Count Chocula's sick knife fight skills.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, man. So I I went through. I replenished all of the books. I'm actually missing some now. Um, So what was cool about this show, too, is I've been trying to sell through single issues of the second shift that's in the trade. And I was able to do that with um, issue seven is now gone. Um, I think the only book that I have left is issue eight. It's like six copies of eight. And I think... um, seven copies of 10, but the 10, what I'm doing is since it's a second part of a two part story, I'm using it as an incentive and they were also kickstarted books. So this is another thing when you do kickstarters, like it's the way that Keith and I, I know that Keith and I think about them is those are free books. Mm -hmm. Basically all the backers helped us pay for those extra copies of the books. So since I'm out of part one of this two part story, I don't want to reorder part one of the two part story. Like the whole point is to get away from the singles to go to the trades once those trades are created. So what I've been doing as a little incentive at shows is if you pick up all three issues of Wanderers, I'll throw in an issue of Second Shift for free as a little Mm -hmm. sweetener. And that usually kind of gets the deal done. You know, like if people are kind of like hemming and hawing, I put that out there and it becomes an instant way to get that sale. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just getting rid of kind of like dead stock. So... I, I will get rid of those issue 10s, no problem. And then issue 8 just becomes the one that I point to and go, if you want to just try one issue of the series, you can try this issue. It's a one-shot story. You can get to know the characters, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a nice nice thing with doing the show, but also selling through a lot of the books. I had did a small reorder of the second volume. I sold through most of them. I think I only had seven left. So I just reordered more for San Diego Comic-Con. And, uh, you know, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, Double count uh, double double check your count that you're sending to your printer and I made mm-hmm. sure to do that this time around. It's just like okay yeah. I need this many right I put the right number in double check triple check okay, this is right. so I compiled a giant list of books that I need from him, including one of the anthologies and uh, so I got those uh, in the works and hopefully those will get printed soon and sent back over I'm cutting I'm cutting that out I'm cutting that yeah, out. that's fine you guys don't know what we just said it was cut yeah out. yeah we just cut
0: it out and we even did the cool audio effect one <laughs> one, one we'll never know hey someday we'll have that thousand dollar patreon tier and then you can finally <laughs> figure out what it is god damn it you are trying your best to throw me off and make me not remember this but we have we okay i i can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast but scott makes a great point there about this this idea of bookkeeping, right? Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't, don't you, don't you fucking fast forward here. I'm not going to spend much time on bookkeeping, I promise. But when you are thinking about your sales, there's the natural thing to think, what did this cost me? Right? The financial term of cost of goods sold. So if you sell a, you know, whatever X dollar book, it costs you another amount. When you kickstart your books, the cost of goods sold is zero. You didn't pay for for it. You kickstarted it backers paid for it and then they got their copy and as a result you are left with copies that cost you nothing so what Scott is doing I do it too you you use you leverage those copies as best you can you know currently I'm sitting on a fair amount of Kadoja Symphony of Madness number ones and as this records I'm getting my Symphony of Madness number twos tomorrow so I'll actually nice. be starting to package my Kickstarters and get them out over the next week or two um they're still helpful to have you know like it may take a while to sell them through maybe they won't sell through and i'll just end up with extra copies but they can always be throw-ins to your point for trades for all the trades for whatever it is right here's yeah
1: hold on let me let me jump in real real quick here and this is from experience and uh because dealing with these random extra copies okay so whatever you do with your with the extra copies of number two Start bundling up them with number ones mm-hmm. because you're going to get this weird, weird wrong number at the end of this, and then yeah. you you don't want to have like okay, I've been giving away issue one as like a sweetener, and now mm-hmm. I got way too many volume two. So just start pairing True. those bitches together, and then just to make sure, okay, these are the ones that I have as sweeteners. I can throw in this volume two. I could throw in yeah a couple of volume ones, but that's it. No, that's that's a good point, and I think it's an especially good
0: point. Because bundling two issues as freebies is not that big of a deal when they will likely be a sweetener for you buying four trade paperbacks. like that's the kind of thing I'm throwing in. If you buy all four trade paperbacks in the future when I have four trade paperbacks, which sounds insane, but we're getting there. it's awesome. Why not why not throw in two two individual uh, comics? So dude, I'm this, I'm psyched to get yeah. to a
1: third. I'm like, yeah. I'm I'm more than halfway there. You know, I got 3 issues of you know, trades are usually well on the indies at least is is 5 issues. I think even the big 2 are starting to do 5 now. But mm-hmm. to know that I'm pretty much almost there, it's like okay, two more issues. You got another trade, yeah. man. Like I'm yeah, psyched. Man. I'm I'm trying to get where you're at.
0: I dig it. I dig it. And uh and then the other thing is that it is worth noting that I am also at a huge reorder point. Talking to you makes me realize I probably just got to reorder volume 2. I I was flying as lean as I could here, and with you telling me that I actually technically missed a sale on a day I wasn't there because I didn't have a volume two, that makes two sales this weekend that I missed because of that, because there was one at my table at at Phoenix Fan Fusion when I was there where the person was like, no, I'll buy volume one and volume three, same thing. I'll buy volume two when it's reprinted as trade. So I need to get on it and, and order some more volume twos. But further to that point, I sold through so much stuff, like trading cards, prints, little things like that, cassettes. You know, like like we've, we've used cassettes for me as this weird thing that just if I keep them around, I'm going to sell six to ten every show. Scott, I had someone buy all my cassettes at Monsterpalooza. It was just like oh, it was one person. You. No one else even asked, but there they were. So like I told you, like I've gotten to the point where I need to reorder cassettes I sold a ton of Kadoja figures over the weekend. I'm getting to the point where I need to reorder Kadoja figures. So I don't have a show per se in my near future. And and I think I need like a a big show to kind of galvanize me to get all those things ordered. Because, you know, pop-ups over a weekend, eh, I can go without. I can just say if you want the single issues, great. If not, I'll be happy that they pick up Kadoja Volume 1. And in my particular case, I think I have two pop-ups in my near future, of course, comic book hideout at the June 24th. And then I think I'm going to do a Pulp Fiction one in July. But both things are really centered around animals number one. So I'm going to have Kadoja there. I'm not stupid, but that's not the thing that's there. You know, like this is about animals and that's what's going to be the main draw of these two uh, in stores. So anyway, so to get to my third thing, I know we're we're running over, but hey, it's it's what we do. Um, speaking of animals, I am getting deeper into writing animals too on a scene and panel level. And so, um, in addition to writing a thousand words in my novel, so let me take a quick. God, we're going all over the place, but but boy, is it fun! At least <laughs> to my beer-soaked brain, it's fun. Yeah, I'm enjoying it um, because last week I talked about how. I was trying to figure out how to balance having three stories to write and the way that has worked the best for me, Scott, is to take alternating days on Animals 2 and my novel and then fit in the other comic when I see fit because at some point soon I'm going to be done with Animals 2, maybe like two weeks. And then I can go full hog into this new comic and start getting that. But what's really working for me is to alternate days right now, a day of the novel, a day of animals, a day of the novel, a day of animals. And so as a result, I wrote since Phoenix fan fusion, which since we've recorded, which was less than a week ago, last time, um, I've written 11 pages of detailed script for animals number two and a thousand words in my novel. Right. So, you know, just, just making good progress on both. Um, But, you know, I wanted to talk about what I think is an interesting component of that, which is I first fleshed out the issue. And as I was writing the scene panel stuff, what happened was I kept writing stuff and I was like, okay, this can happen here. That can happen here. That can happen here. Well, then I read the rest of the script. What I was doing was pulling shit from later in the script forward because I was basically jam packing my scenes. And I think that's a good note for people out there. When you think of stories that are like the slow burn thing, right? You've heard me say slow burn, quiet horror is a phrase that you hear a lot too. There's a danger in slow burn horror and slow burn anything. The danger is there's no burn. It's just slow. And, and you don't want that. You don't, you don't want a slow story. There, there's definitely an art To having something that is a slow burn but just remember that even in your slow burns you got to keep the story moving forward you got to have something happen all the time something always has to happen now sometimes that something is not plot and it's actually character development that's okay especially in a novel in in a comic a little less common but slow burns are okay you just need to understand how things are moving along so by the time i realized this scott My, my 25 page script, I found that I was on page 16 and I had used 25 pages worth of ideas. So while I spent a little bit of time, you know, I wrote like the 11th page today, actually, and then um, had some other stuff happen and like started kind of working it forward. And I'm like, oof. Like, as of right now, all my ideas kind of end on, you know, a few pages early. It's not, it wasn't page 16. I, I dumped things forward and it was like a 21 page comic, something like that, right? Well, I want animals to be more of a 30, 32 page comic. So what I did was I put some more stuff in there and and filled out the comic. And then I realized that I was at a spot where there was something I wanted to do for sure with the comic, but I needed to call my editor. So I called Mike again and I said, Mike, I got a couple, I got a couple ways to go here. I want to know which one you want. And it was kind of funny because I told him the one and then I told him the other, the second one. And he was like, okay, so definitely the second one, because if I read a comic that had the first ending in it, I would be very upset. It would devalue the quality of everything that came before it. So like if I read that comic and that was your ending, I would have been really mad at you. So I was like, well, well, it's okay, Mike, because, you know, I wanted to go the second way, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. So so he was like, yeah, that's the way to go. And then we started talking all of that through. And what I like is so for people out there that that haven't read animals, it's it's a nasty little book. Right. Like some nasty shit happens. And if you read animals one and like it. There's some nasty shit that happens in animals too, you know. And, uh, and I was happy that everything that he liked was like the nastiest possible way I could do something.
1: And, um, and so, yeah, it was funny because that's what he likes about my book. When, when Second Chef gets really gory, he goes, more of this.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's just
1: his, that's his vibe. He likes, (laughs) likes the fucked up shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happened
0: was, um, I I kind of laid out this second thing and I told him like this kind of this big moment. It's going to be a big splash page in Animals 2 where where something uh, that's I, I like to think of, you know, interesting happens. And uh, and then we keep on talking and I'm like, OK, so you like the way I'm going here and you you like that. And then he's like, yeah. And what I like about it is and then he pontificates on something. He's like, well, you could do this. You could do that. You could even do blah, blah, blah. Everything he said, I was like, Mike, I'm putting that in because what I like is you not only gave me, you not only pushed me over to the meaner ending that I liked, but you gave me this killer cherry to put on the top of my horror Sunday that ends the book the way I want. It was was neat. And again, it just, it doubles, redoubles on this thing of like, find someone you trust and make sure you run shit by them because they're going to tell you some good shit. And, uh, and it, it was cool to hear and I hung up with him and then I spent like an hour writing down everything that we had just talked about in the conversation. And now what I have is a really awesome roadmap to the end of animals too. All I have to do is sit down and write it at like the sentence level, the panel level and,
1: and see that thing as I write it and put it on the page. That's awesome, man. That's great. And like, I, I know you knew where you were going, um, you know more or less and but that's great that after having that conversation it kind of solidifies things and push you towards that finish line very cool yeah yeah um uh, speaking of finishing i finished another page of paradise hills that's my last thing for the week um it was very exciting it was a splash page there was a i had to do the background a couple of the characters in it and um i had finished the two other, I'm being a little vague. Um, uh, there was two other big characters in it, and those were finished. Oh, they, I, I had mentioned on previous episodes, uh, two monsters that I had drawn. And mm-hmm. so I had to, you know, draw a couple of people in there, a couple of kids, and, like, the background. And I was able to knock that out in relatively quick fashion. So I was really happy with that. That's just another page down for Paradise Hills, and I think that's five out of 12 Um, So we're moving. We're moving a little slower than I want it to be. But there's just been so much going on between Kickstarters, conventions, and whatnot. And having just that kind of brain fart slowdown for a month. Doing that Kickstarter that kind Mm -hmm. of pushed everything back. So um, I'm happy with the progress that I'm making so far. But I would like to achieve another seven panel week. And Mm -hmm. it's been, um, you know, not as consistent as I'd want to. And I think that's just part of really working hard on on all of these books like kind of nonstop you know it eventually catches up to you so you need a little bit of a break and uh, I think my body's trying to let me know that but um, I think after doing some conventions and like hanging out with creators and looking you know being around a lot of creators it kind of like juices you back up you know my juices are no longer flat they're not flat anymore they're not flat they are a full pouch of capri if you will. yeah yeah um, yeah. the sun is is shining down upon me. So, <laughs> <It> <laughs> a Capri sun pouch, if
0: sugar pumped glory. Since yes, about
1: yeah, man. So, so I'm actually pretty psyched to hop back on it, and like, dude, I I've been in such a. I don't know, like a a creative space mentally where I'm like, I really want to get back to watercoloring. I was I was starting to mess around with watercolors a bit and I was really enjoying myself and I was coming up with some nice pieces. But, um, you know, just getting back to interiors kind of knocks that creative, not the creative, the um, spontaneous creation um, you know, that artists do have. It's just like, okay, I don't have time to fuck around with this. I have to do interiors to this book. So yeah. um, let me focus on that. And before you know it, it's like a few years since I touched watercolor. And it's yeah. just like, ah, oh, man, like all the tricks I was learning, like I, I forgot them all. So it's like yeah. I got to go back. I got to get back in the lab, do more studying, and and hope to do um, some pages with watercolor. Um, I talked about previously how when I do the – when I do the I'm gonna redo the second volume, um or when I do the hardcover, I actually wanted to add pages to it, and I think some of those pages will be watercolor. Um, you know, when I go into flashbacks and stuff like that, I think that's a really cool uh, thing to identify with the reader when they're when they're lo- reading through it, they're like, Oh, watercolor okay, this is clearly a, yep. a flashback, you know. Visual something cues. Th- yes to differentiate and and that's just an idea i'm messing around we'll we'll see if i if i push that forward depending how good or not good i get with watercolor um but we'll see we'll see how that goes and and i'm looking forward to kind of exploring but also to get back on paradise hills in a serious manner and try to knock that story out
0: awesome awesome hey uh, you know like you're you're a little conflicted. You know it's great news that you're tabling at San Diego, but that also means that what could have been a summer ramp down is going to have to get delayed for about a month and a half for you. Where I yep. am now into summer ramp down. In fact, I just found out today that I got waitlisted for Rose City. So will I hang on? Yeah, I will. But you know, I got waitlisted. And, when is, and that's okay. when is Rose City? September. September. Oh okay. Um, so yeah, as of right now, I don't have any shows for the rest of the year. I mean, I think I can f- get into a few and at least uh, make that happen, but those are later in the year, so we'll see. And that that's okay. I'll I'll ramp down now, and then we'll figure out the shows later. You know. Um,
1: yeah, I'm good. I'm good at tapping out in July. Like I yeah, was like, yeah. If we don't get into San Diego, that'll suck because I've gone to San Diego pretty much every single year, one way or another, as a fan or as a as as a worker. Um, mm-hmm. since I was like 13 yeah. so to like miss it would be really strange but like yeah. to go just as a fan now would also be very strange it's like yeah. Yeah. yeah that's kind of not my experience with conventions anymore I don't go just as a fan especially downtown San Diego it's such a clusterfuck it's just yeah. like I'm not going to go there just to try to snake some comic books like I, I don't really know like we'll see but then hey when we got that news about the table I'm like alright all of those concerns that I was having are now out the window
0: Yeah, for me, it's easier because I've never gotten into San Diego exempting that Black Friday one from a couple of years ago. So for me, San Diego just becomes the one time a year where I can walk around with a pro badge and figure it out, you know. So anyway, so let's get into our main topic. I I, I don't think the length of this episode should deter us. From the main topic Plus I think we're going to be Bullshit free this week We do have a mailbag thing That we want to talk about So let's talk to our um, Our main topic I, I don't think this is going to last Too long But we're titling this Leaning into conflict Which is going to save us Some space So something I have seen Is that I feel That people are backing off From making the conflict As difficult as it should be And that's why, you know, regardless of the length of this main topic, I want to remind everybody out there. I want to encourage you. I don't want you to take the easy way out on your conflict. I want you to make things messy. And that's, look, that's my training. That's my training as part of the UCLA extension um, from my mentor, Mark Sarvis, who I I should name check here because, you know, he, he informed me of a lot of this. You know, you you want to make things messy. You want to make them as messy as possible. You want to make, and then once you make them messy, you want to make them messier, right? Like you you really want to lean into conflict because conflict is where shit gets interesting. Somewhere in our previous 130 some episodes, I think we have talked about this, but it's worth saying again. For those of you that are not completists and haven't actually listened to every single issue and also have a complete perfect memory of all of them, which is like nobody, right? Conflict is not arguing. Arguing is verbal and tends to stem from sometimes something important, but in many cases something trivial or just a simple disagreement, you know? And actually, we may have brought this up the last time. You and I got into an argument one time over the Lakers' use of Montrezl Harrell in the in the series against the Suns, that was not conflict. We're homies. We're drunk, and we're just yeah. talking basketball, right? Like
1: we were drunk as. That fuck. was a crucial part of the. Oh, equation. we were
0: we were both really drunk when we were having this this profound argument on the use of Matre's Errol against the Phoenix Suns, right? But that's not conflict because we don't want something different out of this conversation. There's nothing core to it. Like we just want to sit here and talk in bullshit, and that's. That's where conflict is a thing, right? Conflict comes from when two characters or multiple characters want something different out of this situation, out of this scene. And that's where you're going to get really interesting stuff. You know, there's, there's a common adage about conflict, which is if a scene isn't at the space where you need it to be, and, and it's two people, let's say, give those two people... Like the exact opposite thing they want to get out of this scene. Whatever it is, right? Have one person want something and have the other person want essentially a variant of the exact opposite. And then figure it out from there. And then see how things go, right? So it's important to make sure you do that no matter how messy it makes your shit, right? Because I think that the number one reason that people who are not dialing enough into conflict are doing so is probably because their God author brain is telling them, but you need to get to this certain place in the story. And this stuff needs to happen for this story to do what it's going to do.
1: You know, uh, another, another reason why I think people, creators avoid conflict is they kind of put themselves in the position of the characters. Now, if you're a person that does not like conflict You try to avoid it as much as possible, even in a fictitious world that you're creating Mm -hmm. all your own. You know, like that's many a conversation Ed and I have had where he goes, hey, I kind of want to do this and that. And I'm just like, eh, you know, this is earlier on. I was like, no, I I don't want to do that. Like that's like I don't want that to go on with the characters and this and that. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was an uneasiness because I was thinking of myself being in that position. I didn't want to put my characters through that. Mm hmm. I realized as we went on, no, we kind of need that to make shit interesting. Yeah. You know, like a character wants to do something. There's many a things in the character's way of doing that thing. And that's the point. You want them to overcome instead of just kind of getting their way all the time. And, um, you know, I remember when I was putting Paradise Hills together. I was still kind of spitballing things and I was trying to figure out the world. And I had lunch with one of my buddies, uh, Chris Edwards, and I was like, yeah, I'm doing this with the character and like, I want this to happen. But when this happens, this other thing happens and I'm not sure if I just want them to be there or them to be in this, you know, insert uncomfortable predicament and he goes mm-hmm. it's obviously the second one yeah and i was like it is right and he goes yep. yeah that's really interesting Every you know time. when you put the, when you put them in this uncomfortable position they have to figure their way out of it which means mm-hmm. you have to figure their way out of it and and mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing to do and i was like you're 100% Absolutely. right yeah that's that's the way to go so when in doubt, make your characters uncomfortable because they're going to dictate, you know, like we've talked many a times, your characters are people. If you can round them out enough, they will react the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And that will create interesting interesting scenarios in your book. Yeah. And they don't give a
0: shit what God author thinks. Right? Like that's the important part. Like you yeah. if if they're if living yeah, if if your characters are telling you, the God author, something that is different than what you're saying, you need to listen to them. Like, they're the ones in your story, not you. And, um, you know, something, something I, again, I think I mentioned this when I was going through uh, issue three of Symphony of Madness, or maybe even the end of issue two that kind of ties into issue three, is that I specifically put one of my characters in a situation that when I wrote it, I have no idea how to get you out of this, but I'm going to trust myself. So, you know, in issue two of Symphony of Madness, I put a character in a spot where when the issue ends, fun fact, when you guys read it, I have no fucking idea how I'm going to get that character out. But I'm trusting myself. I'm trusting myself as God author to get my character out of that. You'll have to read on to see how it goes, right? But part of me does wonder, as we're talking about this, if... That's one of the reasons that God authors want to avoid conflict. It's like you need to bet on yourself and maybe God author somewhere in the back of your brain, you're thinking like, Oh, I don't know if I really want to get him out of that. Well, trust yourself, put yourself up. You know, like we always talk about this, this thing about how scene I mean, act two of a, of any story is the quote, put your characters up in a tree and throw rocks at them. Right? Like that's the classic adage. well, as an author, you know, put yourself up in a tree and throw rocks at yourself, right? Like, I know that's kind of meta because you're, you're, you're now doing to yourself what you're doing to your characters. But I also think it's a good place to be. Like, challenge yourself to get out of this position, you know? And I think what you were saying about the characters, you know, so one of the things that could be informing this, you know, not wanting to lead into conflict is... God author, maybe not wanting to dig themselves out of a hole, you know, but we just answered that. The other thing could be like kind of a hint at what you were just saying, right? This idea that, that most characters, especially when we start, are going to have some element of us, the author. And it can be very tricky. Because... When you put part of yourself in a character, you feel like it's all of yourself in that character. And then you get a little too emotionally tethered to those characters that you are creating. And that's why you remind yourself like, hey, these are my characters. They're not me. They have, they have this thing in common with me. And maybe that thing in common with me. But after that, they have all these other traits and attributes and personality quirks and histories and all that, so they are going to act different from me. So I don't need to feel that attached to the part of myself that's there with them. Um, I can just let them sort of be their own thing, and that'll spin out in its own way, and then we go from there, you know? So I think there's a lot of aspects to that, and, and in fact, talking about these aspects has helped me has helped me understand why I think people might be a little reticent to avoid conflict uh, when they're doing their writing. But, uh, you know, they're good things to keep a watch out for with yourself and address so that the story is as dynamic and interesting as it can be.
1: Yeah. Make yourself uncomfortable by making your characters uncomfortable and that will lead to better stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so did you have anything else you want to act, uh, no, add on No, I
1: think we covered it. I, I think yeah. that was a pretty thorough examination. And uh, yeah, good job, buddy. Yeah, you know I mean, this. look, we, we could have spent more time
0: building conflict And starting with the idea of conflict and then leading it into this whole, like, but here's why you should lean into conflict. We went ahead and skipped chapters one through three so we can get into the part that's interesting instead of building it into, like, what conflict is and all that stuff, right? Like, let's start here and then see what happens. Um, So I I don't know how much bullshit we have. Probably very little. I don't have any. I have zero. But you do have
1: a, do you want to read the um, email that we got? I do have that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. All right. Hey guys, big fan of the pod. I've been making my way through all the episodes. It's motivating to hear you guys talk about your trials and success. My question is, do you know if any of the larger companies like Dark Horse or Image accept complete full graphic novels? And if they have to have a set number of pages per chapter? I have been working on a comic these past few years. It's about 150 to 160 pages. It's the first half of a completed story, but the goal is to do sequels. Each chapter has about 23 to uh, excuse me, 28 to 38 pages plus a plus the chapter cover page. Do you think publishers would ever take a large book that doesn't come out in smaller volumes? Thank you, Levi Kleeman thanks Levi thanks for the email we really do appreciate that Um, yeah so what you have on your hand is is an OGN an original graphic novel as they say Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah I mean so I, I went ahead and looked reviewed what I believed I know to be true about Image and Dark Horse those are the couple that I used because I know when I speak for Invader like we're happy to accept a full graphic novel so I think what we're going to do is we're going to differentiate the work you have in your hands with how a publisher is going to market it. So when I look at Image and Dark Horse's submission guidelines, a lot of times what they will say is, give us, give us your pitch, give us five pages, 10 pages of what it is, and then give us the guarantee that the creative team that did these 10 pages is going to do the whole thing. And if we like it we're gonna tell you to go with it you know like i i have a you know like look will perkins who's done some kadoja stuff has books on dark horse and so this work this applies for them so if you know for those of you out there that were that were paying attention to levi cleman's thing he's he's basically got a completed graphic novel so that checks all the boxes right like you have five to ten pages your team is consistent all the way through because you've done 150 or 160 and it's just a matter of whether they want to do it or not so i would argue that image dark horse and i can speak for invader and probably some other publishers you know in invader space kind of in the in the indie meaning indie section what i want to see is the whole thing You know, like we will get submissions from people where they're like, hey, I got this cool idea. Here's the pitch and here's the first 20 pages. And what we'll say is sounds, you know, for the ones we like that are like that, we'll say that sounds great. Call me when you're done or call me when you're 90% done because that's the product, right? The product needs to be done, especially if you are a first time contributor for these publishers But the product being done does not mean you have a say in how it's released, because if what you have is separate chapters of a certain length, then the odds are that image more than Dark Horse, right? Image more than Dark Horse is probably going to say, let's release those as single issues and then release them as a trade. Dark Horse may be a little bit more inclined to make them a graphic novel. Speaking for Invader, I'd probably want to see what it looks like and figure it out from there. You know, if we think that it's got a good single-issue component, then we'll run the single issues and then run the trade. But, you know, this goes back to something Aubrey Sidderson said way back in the day. Publishers want to try to have as many versions of the same thing as possible to make that money. So if publishers have the opportunity of releasing something as a comic and then a trade paperback, they are going to take it every single time.
1: And that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say to follow up about Image Comics is I think the single issue is where image makes its money back and then the creator makes money per issue and then the trade is where everyone cashes in Mm -hmm. so so yeah exactly uh, like Keith said you know hashtag Michael Scott, hashtag Aubrey Sitterson. Um, (laughs) The companies want to make money as much as possible. And to release those, if you do have them with chapter breaks in it, and if it does feel like a natural place for that issue to end, it is a good possibility that they will try to make it single issues. Mm -hmm. Now, that's something that you will probably have to sign off on, like if you guys want to move forward. Um, But I don't think it's such a bad idea. And, you know, especially for you as the creator because you will get to make more money on top of it. If you release it just as a graphic novel, then you're basically only getting paid for the graphic novel. But if you, mm-hmm. if you release it in single issues, you get paid for every single, single issue, and then you get paid its all profit when the trade paperback comes. So yeah. uh, financially... Um, Just business-wise, it makes more sense for companies to do singles first. Uh, But to Keith's point, a company like Dark Horse or Fantagraphics or maybe even Invader would consider releasing it straight away as an OGN. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and again, that's going to be something that's going to be a case-by-case basis, depending on what your story is. You know, it's kind of the equivalent of all those streaming services deciding whether they want to drop the entire season at once... Or whether they want to string you along. A lot of that's going to be determined by the pacing of the series. Does the pacing sort of have this cliffhanger in every episode? Can't wait to get here next week kind of vibe? Or is it, "Mm, you may have some slow burn stuff, so you want to get through that? You know, Vision and the Scarlet Witch, whatever the fuck it was called. WandaVision. Great example of that. Like, they knew, Marvel knew the series they had. Disney knew the series they had. That's why they wanted to get you through the first three episodes as soon as fucking possible. Because it started to pop off in episode four. So they knew what they were doing when they were releasing that stuff. But again, to get back into... So Levi, to answer your your question directly, you're in a great spot. Submit whatever the publisher says, first five pages, first ten, and know that you're almost done or you're done. And uh, And then something I see with a lot of creators, novels, comics, wherever is writers seem to get overly preoccupied with marketing their shit. How is this going to be? You know, like, where's this going to go? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what, man? Write it. Write it. Make it. And, and if you're if you're going to publishers, if you're going to publishing houses, if you're going to agents, whatever the places you are going are, just understand that, like, they probably have a better vibe on the marketing than you do. It's okay to have a marketing idea, but please do not let that inform the product you're making. Your job is to make something that kicks ass, and then you can turn it over to the people who are experts in marketing, doing whatever they want to do in terms of the business model.
1: Yep, agreed.
0: Yeah. Hey, so thanks for the question, man. We appreciate it, and we hope that answer helped. Right on, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. all right. You got no bullshit, right? No, man. Let's close up Fuck. shop. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We Go did ahead, it. set it what off. this cup of coffee. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Scott Lost S C O T T L O S T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook com forward slash Scott Lost. Um, you can also find my books at accidentalaliens.com dot com. Second Shift, uh, Minimum Wage Superheroes and Wanderers of Milsanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, along with all the accidental alien anthologies, including Tales from the Mothership. I have works in all of those books, so check those out. Um, pick them up. If you know you don't want to wait for a Kickstarter and you want to support us now, uh, hit up the websites and uh, pick up our books on those websites.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then for me, if, if you like the socials, there is one social I use. It is Instagram, and I am Keith underscore Invader. That is where I do all my, all my posting. I have kind of like a cobweb laden Twitter handle somewhere that I never use. Right? So yeah. You
1: know. You know what's uh, been people have been using lately instead of your Kadoja um, Twitter handle, which which is what your Twitter handle is is just Kadoja. Um, mm-hmm. People have been just tagging Invader, and that works too. Yeah. Yeah. It works too. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's Invader out there as well. So. Um,
0: and then in terms of websites, uh, KeithRfoster.com. That's got stuff on my books. It also has a, uh, a web store where you can order or pre-order my books in the case of animals. Kadoja, Giant Monsters Meet H.B. Lovecraft, Three Protectors Kung Fu in Space, and Animals, a deadly virus or a contagious virus makes animals, animals seek revenge on humans and kill them. And that book is coming out right around the corner, man. This is Aaron, a week or two before that's in shops. So if you've pre-ordered it, thank you. If you haven't pre-ordered it, go into your comic shop and tell them you want a copy. They can still get you one. So, anyway, Animals, number one, dropping very soon.
1: And as far as Unibro, Unibrow, Unibrew, uh, Blanche de Chambley, I really enjoyed this. This is a Belgian-style wheat ale, 5%, 16 ounce. I really like this. Um, I will gladly pick up more of this if I can find it anywhere. And um, at Gary's beer shop, it was only three bucks. So that's not Damn. a bad, yeah, that's not a bad bargain for a 16 ouncer. And just a great flavor, you know, not overly strong, but I really enjoyed it. I would give this, hmm, just a nice sip in beer. Mm-hmm. I would give it an eight. I would give it an eight. I feel like I've been given okay. a lot of eights lately. Yeah. but it's well-deserved. I, I would definitely go back to this at that price point and the size of it all. Um, I really enjoyed it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, Great Notion, Imperial Breakfast Stout, still 9.0, still, man, I hope I get these lyrics right, hitting corners in them Lolo's girl, still <laughs> taking time to perfect the beat, and it's still got love for the streets. It's not the DRE, but it is the double stack by Great Notion. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it was born a nine and it is a nine. It's a wonderful beer. Hell yeah! Speaking of eleven percent, that has nothing to do with five stars, but give us five fucking stars. P- Apple, Spotify, wherever, write them on your wall. I, I don't care, right? Well, okay, writing them on your wall is nowhere near as productive as giving us five stars on Spotify and on iTunes. Uh, I mean, if you write Apple them on why, you're like I'm outside your house. And I'm gonna write five stars on your wall. (laughs) And like, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like you wanting to come into my house for vandalism. Although I do respect, I do respect it. I do respect that you at least want to vandalize my house by writing five stars on the wall. Spray painting them or crayoning them, however you want to do it. But that doesn't change the fact that it's still best for you to go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars there. Words Look, reviews are great. Words are even better. It helps. It helps spread the word. You know, something that we are thrilled with is that we continue to get listeners every single episode. It means that we're making something out there that has value to you guys. It means you're telling your friends and, and a great way to, you know, tell a bunch of friends who you have never met about the podcast is five stars on the podcatcher that, uh, that you listen to.
1: And you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, uh, maybe a subject matter you'd like us to talk about, uh, a question just like Levi, uh, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com will respond to you and then we'll talk about it on the air. If it's something interesting and something we haven't tackled before, uh, we will do it there. Yeah, man. Hey, we did it. We got to the end of the episode.
0: Thank you so much for listening and, uh, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah.